Greetings to the Alternative Futures Workshop at the University of Newcastle. I am Jim Stanford. I'm the economist and director of the Center for Future Work at the Australia Institute. I'm very sorry I can't be there in person today. I'm certainly with you in spirit. And uh, what a great initiative this whole workshop is. And many thanks and congratulations to Dr. Hassani and the whole organizing team for pulling it together. I don't know about you, but some days it feels like the whole world is coming apart at the seams, doesn't it? Donald Trump and racism and climate change and everything else. Uh, and that's why, even as we're fighting all of those specific important battles, it's so important to lift up our heads and think big about what we really want the world to look like. Now we're talking about alternatives to the current economic system. An economic system which we call capitalism. There, I've just said it. I used the C word, capitalism. Just saying that word makes you sound like some kind of dangerous radical uh, Bolshevik uh, or something. Now the economic theory of capitalism, neoclassical economics, pretends that it's a system of markets where everybody gets together, sees what everyone else has to offer, and then start making deals. And at the end, thanks to supply and demand in efficient markets, everyone ends up better off than they would have been without the markets before the trade. That's about as much as neoclassical economists can say. It's better to trade than to not trade. Here's a simple and more accurate picture of how capitalism actually works. It starts here with someone at the top. Someone with money and power and the ability to get things happening. Where did they get the money and power? Who knows? They might have inherited it, like Gina Reinhardt. They might have stolen it, like the Russian oligarchs. They might have saved it up patiently from years of thrifty entrepreneurship. Not likely, but possible. At any rate, they've got money and power and they decide to start or expand a business. They start by putting up some initial money and investment to get that business going to buy the buildings and equipment and technology and supplies to make it happen. They have uh, some kind of structure for their business. It might be an individual proprietorship. It might be a partnership. More likely these days it's a corporation. We'll talk more about what a corporation is in a minute. So they have a business. Now they have real capital assets that they bought to make the business functionable. So far, however, nothing in this picture is happening. And why not? Oh yeah, because no one is working there yet. The capitalist owns the business, put up the initial money to get it going, makes the decisions, but the capitalist doesn't actually do the work. Are you crazy? He or she hires someone else to do the work. That's crucial to keep in mind. So he goes to a working class neighborhood, he finds some people to work in his business for money, he pays them to do his work, he tells them what to do, hires and fires, he owns the value that those workers produce. So the workers show up, they exert their labor, their brains and their brawn, production occurs, the capitalist sells the output, pays the workers, hopefully at least the minimum wage, unless it's a 7-Eleven franchise of course, pays the other bills of the business and then hopes for a profit at the end of the day. That's actually a simple but accurate depiction of how capitalism actually works. It's not a market, it's more like a dictatorship, very top-down structure. The guy at the top has to make decisions before anything happens and that's what gives him power over the rest of us. Now why does a capitalist do all this? To make a profit. 
Why do the workers go there and use their brains and brawn to undertake the production? Because for the most part, they have to in order to support themselves and their family. The capitalist has the upper hand right from the beginning because they have the capital, the technology, the power to start production, the connections, the patents, and so on. Right now, nothing in the economy happens until the people at the top make those initial investments, form businesses, and start production. Now let me talk about the form of the business that the capitalist undertakes because it's key to this idea of how we eventually replace corporations with something else and build an alternative future. We often hate them and we protest them, but let's face it, the corporation is actually a pretty incredible invention. It's a social institution, in a way it's a fiction, a figment of our laws, an institution that is given the rights of an individual before the law as if it's a person, but in a way that separates that institution from the real people who actually own it. The principle of limited liability says that a corporation can go out and do all this stuff. Hire workers, produce products, sell the products, make a profit. And if things go badly, the ultimate responsibility or liability of the people running that show is limited to whatever cash they put up in the first place. The most miraculous thing, in my view, about a corporation is that while pooling all of those little bits of resources, they have established a coherent organization that has a clear, overarching, laser-like focus on one final goal. And they've set up a, 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 some rules and laws and practices to ensure that the whole company, even if it hires tens of thousands of workers, the whole company follows that goal to the exclusion of everything else. It's called corporate governance, and we progressives need to understand it better because I ultimately think that the seeds of an alternative economy have actually been planted within the corporate form, within that structure of corporate governance. What we have to do is understand better how it works and then pervert it so that we can harness those same powers for good instead of evil. The corporation is established as a legal entity. Like a person, it has legal rights and responsibilities and limited liability. The people who run the company, its directors, have a legal responsibility called fiduciary duty to run the company to maximize the well-being of its owners. That means maximizing its profits over time. So how do they ensure the people running the corporation do exactly what maximizes the wealth of the people who own it? First off, they make those people owners. That's why nowadays the top executives of any corporations are also major owners. You're never just a hired gun, you always have uh, a stake in the company itself through large direct personal stock holdings. Then they tie the compensation of, of executives tightly to the financial performance of the firm with stock options and other bonuses that depend on profits and share prices. That has a way of concentrating the mind of top executives. They know that tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars of their own personal wealth are at stake if they don't get the share price up and the profits uh, up over time. Then corporate governance relies on an entire oversight apparatus to make sure that the company and its executives slash owners are doing what they're supposed to do. From internal committees and audits and review processes to the work of external financial analysts and vulture funds uh, who watch companies like a hawk for any sign that they're deviating uh, from the goal of maximizing profits and share prices. 
not to see if the corporations are doing the right thing for people or the environment, but doing the right thing for the company's owners. There's far more oversight, I assure you, over the day-to-day -day operations of chief executives of private corporations than for any organization or institution we can think of in the public sector. I've seen how it works. The problem is the oversight of corporations is all directed in a certain very biased way, one that undermines the welfare of overall society and the environment, but very effectively maximizes the wealth of the small group of people who own most corporations. So this, in my view, is what makes a corporation an amazing institution in a narrow, perverted sense. It's a huge organization, a social institution. It isn't the personification of individual entrepreneurship, not remotely. It relies on planning and control. In fact, if the USSR had been able to plan its economy the way a modern corporation like Toyota or Walmart or General Electric plans its activities, the USSR would still exist today, let me assure you. So, the corporation is organized and supervised and aligned to a very particular, skewed task, maximizing profit for its owners, and it pays serious attention to organizing the institution in a way that gets that job done. So here's the task for us as progressives. We need to take the lessons of the corporation and apply them in a better direction. Let's establish big institutions like the corporation but orient them to a different goal. The fiduciary responsibility would become some other measure of social and environmental well-being. Exactly how we define and measure that goal is challenging and we need, some, we need to do some work in that, but it can be done. Then we align the actions of the whole institution from top to bottom towards maximizing that goal and establish a serious, comprehensive and unforgiving system of governance, just like corporations have today, to make sure that it does what it's supposed to do. Instead of being captured by self-interests or rent-seeking or corruption, like too many previous public institutions have done. Now, in my book, which is called Economics for Everyone, A Short Guide to the Economics of Capitalism, there I used the C word again, I gathered information on experiments with alternative ways of organizing production and alternative economic institutions from countries all around the world. It's all summarized in the last chapter of the book, chapter 29. It's funny, I spent 28 chapters describing how capitalism works and one chapter at the end to talk about the alternatives. I think I'm off balance and I better fix that for the next edition. But anyway, there's this great table in chapter 29 that categorizes different alternative forms of business undertaking and lists examples of where they have been tried successfully in different places around the world. It's a wonderful, hopeful table, if I do say so myself. I'm a real nerd that I get so excited about a table. The table has two broad sections corresponding to two broad strategies for socializing the corporation uh, and developing ways to organize uh, economic activity differently. Uh, so that big, powerful institutions, our own corporations, would be directed to do everything they can to make life better for people and the planet instead of focusing only on their own profits. Two ways to start. One, we could start up here with the financial system, or two, we could start down here, right in the realm of production. Both are promising. We need them both. In particular, though, we do have to have an alternative vision to how to organize production. We can't just socialize the financial ownership of corporations and expect that they'll suddenly start acting differently. There are lots of ways to look at socializing finance, and here's a few of them. We could have publicly owned banks 
which use the power to create credit to finance socially and environmentally useful work. We could have credit unions, which is a form of cooperative in the banking system, which also uses the credit creation process and uses it to support productive, socially beneficial investments and building of communities. There's a concept of investment or development banks, which are publicly owned banks, but have a special mandate to finance investment in real production and in hopefully social corporations, in businesses, in industries that we want to develop in our country. Sovereign wealth funds are a form of socialized financial investment where the government places investments in a number of different activities and companies and that could include social corporations with a mandate to enhancing uh, national or social well-being uh, down the road. Social investment funds are another way of pooling capital but giving it a different mandate to invest for community and environmental well-being rather than private profit. Microcredit is another way that small bits of credit uh, are advanced to finance uh, small-scale enterprises uh, and household production. These are all different ways in which social criteria could be used to guide the process of creating finance, creating credit, and putting money into motion in the real economy. But as I said, we can't just take over the finances of a corporation at the top without changing how it actually works in the realm of production. If it was that easy to just take it over at the top, we would have done it uh, already. So there are also many ways to think about changing the whole orientation of uh, corporate governance in the realm of production as well. An obvious one, state-owned enterprises. You could have a publicly owned corporation that was directed to pursue a certain goal rather than just maximizing its own profit and the state-owned enterprises have a bad name, sometimes deserved, sometimes not deserved, but there are many examples around the world of successful, efficient, uh, productive state-owned enterprises. We could have producer cooperatives. This is a cooperatively owned enterprise owned by the people who work in it that has a mandate to do good in the economy and the environment and the decisions are made democratically by the people who work there. We could have consumer-owned cooperatives, a similar model where the business is undertaken uh, and owned by the people who shop there, who purchase uh, the output of the business. Recovered companies is an example of a cooperative, usually a producer cooperative, where people, often the workers of a place, take over a company that's failed under conventional corporate governance uh, and try to renew it and reorient it uh, so that it can carry on, uh, preserve the jobs, but also do uh, social good. Community trusts are a form of uh, financial investment in real businesses, uh, often in the area of housing, uh, where the business is mandated to fulfill a social purpose rather than private profit. Benefit corporations, sometimes called B corporations, uh, are a relatively new uh, experiment in uh, social uh, enterprise where a corporation does exist as a legal entity, like a private corporation, but is explicitly given a different fiduciary goal. Rather than maximizing its own profit, there's an alternative goal that is defined, and then the corporation is explicitly instructed, uh, as we were discussing, to pursue that goal rather than uh, private uh, profit. And of course, community and non-profit enterprise, uh, small-scale uh, undertakings uh, in a range of different areas, another example of how real production could occur with a social mandate rather than just private profit. Among all of these experiments and potential ideas for socializing the corporation, both in the financial sphere and in the sphere of real uh, production, 
There's no one magic bullet and there's no recipe uh, that we need uh, to follow. In fact, we need to experiment with a range of different uh, uh, approaches and techniques. But always keeping in mind, our task is to organize production in a way that explicitly enhances human and environmental well-being rather than uh, private profit. And there are some key areas in our economy and our society today where this approach has huge potential. Housing uh, is a great one. Energy, transportation, uh, food, industries where private corporations have failed miserably um, to do what they're supposed to do and where alternative forms of enterprise could succeed. The very success of capitalist corporate governance begs an obvious and important question. The corporation today is a large institution owned by people who don't even usually work there. It's big, bureaucratic, um, fundamentally social in nature. It's managed in a discipline focused way and it ruthlessly pursues a clear goal. The wrong goal, but a clear goal. So the question seems obvious to me. Why can't we have a social corporation, a large, powerful, focused social institution, ruthlessly focused on another goal? maximizing social and environmental well-being. This requires progressives to think seriously about institutions, how they work and how they're governed. Allow me to finish up with a little bit of dreaming because that's what this workshop on alternative futures is all about. If I were to imagine what a truly democratic, egalitarian and dare I say socialist economy would look like. Clearly it wouldn't be a centralized planned machine overseen from the top by master planners with an enormous computer. Okay, we've tried that and it didn't work out well. But neither would it be some loose community of individual small producers, each doing their own thing and hopefully meeting together somehow, maybe at a flea market at the church um, to, uh, to their mutual benefit. Uh, I don't ultimately believe that small is always beautiful. There are many good things in society that need size, that need scale, need the resources and the specialization that comes with a large organization. And in general, let's be frank, small businesses in capitalism uh, often behave worse in many ways than big uh, corporations. So we need to have large, powerful, complicated organizations to undertake many of the things that we need in our economy. What I could imagine is something like this. An economy with lots of social corporations, many of them very large, governed effectively and ultimately democratically uh, toward their respective end goals. End goals that are defined and enforced through some kind of collective democratic process and all relate to some dimension of social and environmental well-being. We still need a macroeconomic level to this uh, utopian economy that I'm imagining. Uh, to manage that overall economy, to move towards full employment and meet other crucial outcomes. It might even involve some planning at the macroeconomic level. But the idea of these individual social corporations is at the center of my vision. Uh, and that's why I'm so excited about our collective work through this project and others. Thinking, theorizing, experimenting uh, with alternative forms of economic uh, organization. This workshop is a great start in that direction. So hey, if you want to check out the famous chapter 29 and this table that I'm so excited about, go buy, borrow or steal a copy of Economics for Everyone. Here's a website. There's lots of great resources uh, for free, open access there, uh, including reading lists, uh, study guides, uh, lecture notes and more. So uh, go there and check it out for extra resources. In the meantime, thank you for what you're doing with this workshop and thanks for having me as part of it.